Hey friends, happy Thanksgiving. For this Thanksgiving week of celebration, of gathering with friends and family, coming together in a spirit of joy and gratitude, entering into the darker depths of the winter months where we appreciate the coziness around the hearth, I thought it would be fun to share a very special chapter with you all out of Why on Earth, one that is really apropos for this Thanksgiving week, this time of really dropping into and celebrating our gratitude for all our blessings. I want to make sure before diving into the chapter that you all know we have just a few days left in our Kids Corner uh, Kickstarter campaign and so excited about the incredible array of gifts and rewards. We've set it up so that you'll get excellent deals and discounts on our children's books, our soil stewardship handbook, all kinds of other resources, and even some coaching and consulting services available for entrepreneurs, for executives, for businesses. And so there's something in there, little something for everybody. And you can check all that out at whyonearth.org slash kickstarter. So it's the letter Y, O-N-E-A-R-T-H dot org slash kickstarter. And uh, that ends Monday morning. So I hope you'll get over there and you'll see there's a lot of uh, uh, great uh, ideas and suggestions for uh, holiday gift giving coming up. So, uh, timed for perfectly for your upcoming, uh, holiday gift giving. Of course, the artwork in the children's books is, it's just amazing by Yvonne Kozlina. You can see many of the examples, uh, through our social media posts and, uh, beautiful, beautiful original artwork with those books. We're doing celebrating soil, celebrating honeybees, celebrating water, celebrating trees, you see some right behind me, and celebrating community. So uh, there's a whole series of children's books that this Kickstarter is helping uh, to support. So with that, in the spirit of Thanksgiving week, I wanted to read to you and share the chapter that is called Delight in Why on Earth. And this is found in the second section of the book, which is where we're exploring the different dimensions, different aspects of cultivating a very high degree of health and well-being thriving in our own lives. And it seems that delighting in the incredible abundance and miraculousness of this amazing planet is one of the keys to experiencing a high quality of life with, full of joy and appreciation. And this practice, this part of our practice, is not dependent on our socioeconomic standing. It's something we can all cultivate in our day-to-day. And seems like it might be one of the secrets to having an incredibly high level of joy and fulfillment in our day-to-day -day lives. So, let's check it out. This is Delight. Celebrating creation 
and exquisite sensual spirituality. Viktor Frankl tells us, our greatest freedom is the freedom to choose our attitude. And Thich Nhat Hanh says, your mind is like a piece of land planted with many different kinds of seeds, seeds of joy, peace, mindfulness, understanding, and love. Seeds of craving, anger, fear, hate, and forgetfulness. These wholesome and unwholesome seeds are always there, sleeping in the soil of your mind. The quality of your life depends on the seeds you water. The seeds that are watered frequently are those that will grow strong. And Oprah Winfrey tells us, My all-time favorite place to be is quietly under a tree. I sit every day in peace and gratitude for all life's blessings. So here's chapter 14, Delight. There are many of us who believe that earth is without question the most delightful place in the universe. But some of us would respond to this statement in utter disbelief, total shock, dismay. We might protest with abhorrence. What about all of the trauma, abuse, and evil perpetrated in the world? What about the grotesque horrors of genocide, depictions of which, like Picasso's Guernica, only hint at the pain and upheaval and suffering and cruelty humans can inflict on one another? How could we possibly celebrate a world of delight given these traumas and horrors? Is the world good or is it bad? This is one of the greatest questions and problems of Western and modern culture and of our modern human consciousness. This question is as challenging as it is important for us to explore together. Some of the greatest people, the noblest hearts like Viktor Frankl, are able to reconcile this and not dissolve into pessimism. Not dissolve into total pessimism. In his Nazi prison camp account, Man's Search for Meaning, Frankl offers humanity a framework for understanding how individuals can choose to overcome and conquer incredible horrors and traumas. Though we bear scars, to be sure, we ultimately maintain the self-directed will to choose joy, purpose, and meaning in virtually any circumstance. This may be one of the toughest chapters in the book to write and to read. It may also be one of the most important, for the truth is we have a choice. We have a series of choices, not quite endless, but many Over the course of the approximately 30,000 days, each of us will live on average. We have the choice to feed the spirits of gratitude and joy or the demons of cynicism, hopelessness, and suffering. The most important point in all of this is simple. We have the choice. The choice is ours and ours alone. We all have trauma. The point isn't to debate whose is more severe. Whose is more unjust? Who, whose is more destructive? The point is, what do we choose for ourselves, for our precious life, for our families and communities? We all have this choice, all of us. And delight is a key. Today, more and more returning war veterans are choosing to overcome their 
post-traumatic stress disorder through experiences of delight, especially working with living plants, soils, and growing and preparing food. These are folks in our own communities choosing to engage in delightful connection with the living world and choosing to heal. Even my grandpa Bear, who endured extreme horrors and near starvation in a Nazi prisoner of war camp, would cultivate delight in his life with a constancy verging on religiosity, the good sort of religiosity. For decades, my cousins and I knew our grandpa Bear to walk daily, to spend hours in his garden and to read quietly all year round. Sure, he had his rough edges, as we all do, and woke almost every night with dreams of terror, well into old age. But he also cultivated some genuine sort of Zen humility and love for the world. A love for many simple experiences of delight in the world. And for him, much of these were found in nature. He actually stopped to smell the roses as a matter of course, and also taught us to do so by example, by modeling the behavior. As if saying, while inhaling their sweet ephemeral fragrances, why wouldn't we? Why indeed wouldn't we? Grandpa Bear somehow knows, perhaps because he was so close to death and saw so much death around him as a young soldier, that this life on earth truly is precious. He loves life so deeply, all of it. In fact, in addition to long walks through the woods and parks, Grandpa was also known to feed squirrels by hand and to call and respond with robins in mid-afternoon choruses of pure joy. He knows and embodies the power of delight. We might even say he knows its necessity. Delight is a necessity to living life fully and to experiencing the fullness of our humanity. But this goes way beyond my grandpa or yours. This gets to the very core of one of our most challenging cultural legacies and, dare I say, pathologies. For in the course of Western civilization in particular, there has emerged a fundamental paradigm problem that we must now confront and understand. In that great path of countless men and women whose thoughts and conversations and writings have brought us to where we are today, from the Greeks like Plato and Aristotle through the time of Jesus and the writers of the apostolic gospels, through the Roman Empire's official and then forced adoption of Christianity under Emperor Theodosius in 380 CE, on into the Dark Ages and the Inquisitions in which millions of women, men, and children were brutalized and massacred in the name of church dogma, and on into the pre-modern thinkers like Sir Francis Bacon who short-sightedly claimed mankind's dom domination of the living earth as ordained by God. Our history is rife, is seething with anti-life, anti-biospheric, anti-stewardship, and anti-love rhetoric, ethos, and thus reality. We have inherited this cultural legacy, all of us alive today. The maligning of the earth and of life is deep in our heritage. Sure, many of us see these things as merely relics of a nastier, more brutish past. As an unfortunate crudeness we've since transcended, 
But the truth is this pernicious worldview that says it's okay for us to destroy forests, fisheries, mountains, and communities in the name of progress and economic development is a disease, a pathology of the mind and heart. And it has infected so much of our culture. We hardly even consciously recognize it to be there anymore. It is destroying our very world. But many of us are living and acting as if everything is a-okay. This is precisely the problem. This is the disease. We can heal this pathology. We can overcome this cultural sickness. Learning to delight, to actively delight in the living world is an important part of our cure. And how we interact with, how we appreciate the world around us is critical to cultivating the consciousness that will allow us to become great, caring stewards of our world. As theologian and teacher Thomas Berry tells us in his Christian Future and the Fate of the Earth, an incredible book, by the way, he says, As we lose our experience of the songbirds, our experience of the butterflies, the flowers in the fields, the trees and woodlands, the streams that pour over the land and the fish that swim in their waters. As we lose our experience of these things, our imagination suffers in proportion, as do our feelings and even our intelligence. The fact is, through our hyper-urban, hyper-technologized, hyper-consumptive, hyper-modern culture, We have already lost so much, but it is not all lost, far from it. Depending on what we choose today and for the rest of our lives, delighting in the world, in this world, is not only joyous, delighting in this world, in earth, is healing. Our ability to to delight is an essential key to our ability to live gently and peacefully and with care and stewardship on this sacred planet Earth, our home, our one and only. As Barry, a devout Christian, suggests, it is through our delightful connection with the living world that we will heal this great cultural rift with our home, a rift that is undermining our spiritual wholeness. He says, The unity of the Earth process is especially clear. It is bound together in such a way that every geological, biological, and human component of the earth community is intimately present to every other component of that community. Whatever happens to any member affects every other member of the community. Here we can see how precious earth is as the only living planet that we know, how profoundly it reveals mysteries of the divine how carefully it should be tended, how great an evil it is to damage its basic life systems, to ruin its beauty, to plunder its resources. For these things to be done by Christians or without significant Christian protest is a scandal of the primary order of magnitude. The challenge of healing this rift is germane to all of us living on earth, not just Christians. But as we 
come to understand the unique ways in which Christendom has wrought havoc, destruction, and diseased economic memes justified by twisted theological confusion like slavery, deforestation, subjugation, cultural devastation, wanton taking of land, resources, peoples, and places, then we will come to understand how Christians today will play a unique role in healing these great multi-generational wounds and insidious mental and spiritual illnesses. We must ask ourselves, how much brutality and destruction do we find being perpetuated in the name of God or Allah or Yahweh? Is this something we really want to perpetuate? What do we really want to create? We can choose to heal and change course from this currently predominant attitude that, as Barry puts it, is showing no significant interest in the fate of earth as it is being devastated by a plundering industrial system. At the core of this pathology is a pervasive emphasis in our prayers for deliverance into a better world. Barry tells us, as he presents a suggested outline of the paradigm for understanding what is available to us at the present time, we might even claim that this view of the universe provides a more comprehensive context for interpreting Christian belief than do the views of Clement, Augustine, Thomas, or Ignatius. If we are to arrive at a healthy, whole, spiritual understanding of our relationship with the living earth, we must either not have engaged in the historically corrupted worldviews of Mosaic religions in the first place, or we must garner the courage and the grit to work through these most challenging aspects of our religio-spiritual separation from the living world. This is not easy work, but it is necessary and critical to healing our relationship with earth and to creating a future we would hope to leave to future generations. Our work is here and now, and there's a special sanctity to it. I remember my friend Rabbi Michael Kosakoff telling me a wonderful story about the late Rabbi Zalman Schachter Shalomai, affectionately known as Reb Zalman. Reb Zalman, who fled from an, an internment camp in Vichy, France, after the Nazi invasion of 1940, is a founder of the Jewish Reform Movement and credited with expanding the notion of kosher to include choosing foods that contribute to environmental sustainability, eco-kashrut, or eco-kosher. He was a profoundly thoughtful leader and spiritual guide to thousands. He was also adept, as Kazakov tells me, in the art of delighting. Reb Zalman had elevated the practice of delight to a spiritual practice, one in which God could enjoy even greater delight in creation through us, through humanity. When Reb Zalman would enjoy a bowl of ice cream, for example, he would pause, look up, and say, See God, this is what ice cream tastes like. Isn't it wonderful? His was such a life-filled and love-filled practice of delight. He came to understand delighting as one of the greatest ways to show humble gratitude for the divine creation we have been given this opportunity to enjoy. As if not to delight in this creation were to snub the Creator. As if not to delight were to blaspheme. 
Sure, there could be other worlds out there full of the colors, wonders, diversity of life, incredible, miraculous atmosphere-induced temperature stability, relatively speaking, that allows for liquid oceans, frozen glaciers, and silently voyaging rain clouds. The water, the ice, the vapors all comprised of a divine molecule that is the basis for life, water. Sure, that's a mathematical possibility, but for us humans, our earth is a one of a kind. Even if not, even if there were hundreds like her way out there somewhere, would that need that diminish our love and respect and stewardship of our beloved, our cherished, our sacrosanct and hallowed Mother Earth? What do we take for granted? Our blue-green planet is largely covered by water, and where there's land, there's a cornucopia of plants, trees, bacteria, fungi, insects, and animals, all themselves water-containing beings that make our lives possible. Life abounds and seems often to delight in its own awesome miraculousness. And life is full of delight. Have you ever heard and perhaps then seen a hummingbird sing and fly its way through a flower garden? Have you observed a squirrel digging, flipping and flopping in the duff under a shady blue spruce and raptured as he's playing an ongoing game of bounce and turn like our kids might on a trampoline? Clearly a recreational activity merely for fun's sake. Have you heard and seen pods of multi-aged dolphins frolicking in waters and surfing ocean waves in their three-dimensional water paradise? Have you heard and seen how aspen leaves dance, shimmer, and whisper songs of joy as the breeze runs its gentle fingers through their branches, like we might through our child's silky hair? Have you ever seen the bliss and serenity in snow monkeys, macaques, faces while soaking in the mountain hot springs of Jigokudani Monkey Park in Japan with cold winter snows drifting down all around them? Their contemplative serenity conveys the calm joy of the most adept meditating monks. Have you seen adolescent goats prance and flirt and dance and stumble as they imbibe the fermented fallen fruits of surrounding orchards and leaping and bounding and chasing on and off boulders? Have you ever looked closely at honeybees, arching their backs in apparent ecstasy as they caress and coax and gather the nectar and pollen of flowering plants in their bacchanalian orgies with the infinitely colorful, sweet, and arousing aromatic sex organs we call flowers, as they gather and make their gold and honey ambrosia from bright pollens and flowing floral juices? Have you seen the utter uninhibited joy and love radiating from a baby's face when she opens her eyes to see her mother and father gazing back? Can we possibly experience these things and not believe the earth to be an Eden of delights? Or at least to contain immense potential for experiences of delight? Consider all of this in juxtaposition to that alluring, compelling facade and appearance of delight we find in all of the consumer products being paraded in front of us every day. Beautiful 
photoshopped women, gorgeous color-enhanced images of industrial foods. What is the veil doing to program our expectations of how to delight? What is the veil doing to impede our capacity and capability to genuinely delight in the authentic connection with the living world? How aware are we of our awareness? Is it possible that all around us are infinite opportunities for delight? Is it also possible that our culture has drawn a huge line in the sand, created a huge separation when it comes to experiencing delight? Sure, when we're on vacation at the beach, perhaps enjoying a pina colada before plunging into clear blue waters, we feel immersed in delight. Or sipping a crisp beer or cold white wine along the lake shore or river's edge while fishing. But what about during normal life, the day-to-day? And moreover, what about the great conflation between delight and hedonism, between delight and wanton consumption that is rampant in our culture? Can we, as adept practitioners of life, come to clearly discern for ourselves the vast difference between hedonistic indulgence and delight? What is the difference between hedonism and delight? It's probably one of those things we can know by paying attention and by cultivating our awareness. We can also ask, is our desire, our activity, connecting us more profoundly with a loved one and with the living world around us? Are we on a hike with our sweetheart, connecting through conversation and holding hands, or are we in the strip club with the mere appearance of intimacy? Are we spending cash to fill a void, stuck in that endless vortex of illusory promises of commercial fulfillment? Or are we deliberately cultivating a frugal abundance that delights in the ample fruitfulness of life on earth and all of her abundance? It is in our cultivation of awareness, of self-knowledge, that we will see the veil, see through the veil, and develop our humility in such a manner as to delight in the experiences of humanity, consciously connected to the living earth. <coughs> Excuse me. It is a matter of our hearts and minds. Again, let us consider the subtler meaning of what Thich Nhat Hanh teaches us. Your mind is like a piece of land planted with many different kinds of seeds. Seeds of joy, peace, mindfulness, understanding, and love. Seeds of craving, anger, fear, hate, and forgetfulness. These wholesome and unwholesome seeds are always there, sleeping in the soil of your mind. The quality of your life depends on the seeds you water. The seeds that are watered frequently are those that will grow strong. Let us ask, what seeds are we watering in our lives? Do we experience an ongoing flow of delight while working, maintaining our homes, running errands, and marching along to a schedule? Are we marching or are we dancing along to our schedule? Our ability to delight in our daily lives and to seek delightful ways to live our lives is essential to our experience of joy, health, and well-being. Essential. And our ability to cultivate experiences of delight in our daily lives is also essential to envisioning and creating a culture and a world of regenerative, sustainable abundance. 
What if there's a hidden secret all around us, surrounding us? What that, that we can choose to delight and to create delight in the most quotidian activities. This is a secret of the sages, of the wise ones. It is found in their timeless sayings. It is evident in their lives, their modeling, their demonstration. It lives in their example. And we can choose to learn from them, to delight in the mundane, the little earthly things like mustard seeds and lotus flowers and open the gates to a realm of profound joy. This is at our fingertips. The option to choose is our birthright. And as with most worthwhile things, it takes practice. To delight is a skill, a capability that we must practice and develop to get really good at it. I remember recently cleaning some dishes in my kitchen. Not something you would say I was loving after a night of fun and festivities with friends. We had worked our way through the ice supply, so I needed to refill the ice cube trays with water before returning them to the freezer. Without being aware of it, I was feeling irritated about having to fill the ice trays with water and was longing for an automatic ice machine in my freezer. I was vexed by this little chore, but then something happened. I paused. Through some small grace, I realized that this little reality, this narrative I had created for myself, could be very different. I realized that I was feeling put out or frustrated that I had yet one more task, one more chore standing between now and some other apparently more interesting, more delightful activity. But there really isn't another thing out there. I realized that in fact, I could actually completely enjoy and relish and delight in this very activity right now. It wasn't about the activity itself. No, this was completely about my attitude and perspective. Because guess what? It turns out I like water. I really like water. I like seeing water flow. Wherever I am, flowing water can remind me of a high mountain brook or a magnificent cascading waterfall. And this connection with water, this appreciation, often makes me feel more connected to the divine life force that flows through everything, through all of us. It's as if the wellspring of joy and delight is opened by appreciation and gratitude. But here I was nearly cursing the water as it was flowing right out of my kitchen faucet. What was going on with my attitude? What was going on with my perspective? How many people on the planet right now would be overjoyed to have clean, clear water to drink? A billion? That's a thousand, thousand, thousand of us. Or 20,000 full Yankees stadiums. Full of our fellow human beings. 20,000 stadiums. Two billion? 40,000 of those stadiums? Full of people? Let alone to have this clean, clear water flowing from the tap with a minimal magical turn of the spigot? Something happened. I noticed my own thoughts and then thought about hacking those thoughts with more perspective and gratitude. I wondered what kind of appreciation could I experience and cultivate instead? What sort of gratitude could I cultivate? What 
experience could I delight in while simply standing at my kitchen sink with ice cube tray tilted at a downward angle so that the water flows from the top to the next to the next and on in a gentle, delightful cascade of liquid beauty. Are you kidding? It's that simple to delight? This has become one of my favorite moments in the day, in the week. I think about these mini flow forms. I visualize them when I'm away from my home because they have become an enjoyable and delightful part of my life. Water, flow, delight, attitude, perspective, gratitude. No chore of drudgery any longer. Perhaps our ability to, to delight is not so much about experiencing things far away or exotic, like when we're on vacation from our real life. Perhaps the key to cultivating delight is right in front of us, right at our fingertips, right in the middle of our normal day-to-day -day quotidian mundane reality. It is our attitude of gratitude that unlocks the door to this endless realm of delight. By lifting the veil in our own lives, our own thoughts, our own minds, we might unlock the divine doors to a realm that is all around us. But how do we do this? What are the techniques we can cultivate to amplify our experience? As far as I can tell, it definitely takes some practice and naturally some perspective. Our perspective is the practice. When I was about 10 years old, I remember mowing lawns with my good buddy Colin to make some scratch, some cabbage, some cashish. We liked having the extra dough, but we didn't love to mow the lawns. At the first sign of clouds rolling in the way they often did those hot summer afternoons in Colorado, my buddy and I would call off the work on account of rain and hurry down into his basement to play video games indoors. At that time, at that age, gaming indoors was a much more delightful activity than mowing outdoors. Now though, a couple few decades later, mowing the lawn with manual push mower is one of my most delightful activities of the week. I relish the hot sunny afternoons, a perfect time to shed all but shoes and shorts, throw on my headphones and some tunes, and take laps with the push mower up and down, back and forth along the modest front lawn. The push mower is quiet. No belching gasoline fumes here, and because it's manual, I have to pass over the grass three to five times to get a relatively nice sharp trim on the lawn. That means exercise, in the sunshine, getting some vitamin D and working on my tan. Delightful. Neighbors often wave and say hi as they walk by. Almost every time I'll stop and remove my headphones, unplug from my music for a minute and chat up a neighbor about this or that, the bees, the chickens, the weather, anything really. It's community. What was once a chore I'd try to avoid with any little excuse has become an utter delight. Music, exercise, sunshine, community, the aroma of the fresh cut grass, the satisfaction of a job well done and the sweat rolling down my face and back and chest to indicate a nice little workout and a nice time in the afternoon Colorado sunshine. What joy! Meanwhile, in my backyard, honeybees are busy collecting nectar and pollen from sunup till sundown. Chickens are 
busy scratching and exploring and grazing in the yard. Hummingbirds are zipping about in their flight song, stopping for sugar water at the beautiful cobalt blue hanging glass feeders on the balcony. Butterflies and dragonflies dance about and cruise through the tall grasses and among the wild pea flowers. Tomatoes and peppers and squashes and peas and carrots and greens and herbs are busy growing, spreading and expanding abundantly in their frugal, joyful life ways. I could go out and give the chickens, bees, and gardens water and food, thinking of it as a chore standing between me and some work task or deadline or scheduled appointment TV show or other important entertainment, or I can go out, take a deep breath, and delight in these wonderful living creatures and the symbiosis we share together, life. And I am so grateful to my friends and mentors who taught me this about soil, that about growing tomatoes. But believe me, I am a mere student myself at all of this. My yard, vegetable garden, and chicken coop have a long way to go to reach their potential as a superabundant food forest ecology. And I am certainly making all kinds of mistakes and do-overs. I've lost a few chickens to raccoons. I've lost some corn stalks and squash plants to wind and blight. Even after all of these years of green thumbing it with my lovely house plants, I still lose one of them now and again. The point of all of this has nothing to do with perfection. It has everything to do with trying, with intention, with a willingness to attempt, stumble, learn, and get a bit better at it each step of the way. In fact, the core activity life hacks that will enhance our connection to place and our sense of joyful delight themselves become the practices that offer up all kinds of lessons applicable to the broader quest. Understanding this means that now we're starting to get somewhere. By trying, by being willing to fail, but trying, we unlock the doors to the realm of authentic, joyful experience. And we come to know the truth. I can relish and delight in this deeply authentic experience in my yard and garden. I nourish the plants and chickens and bees with water and food and care, and they provide eggs and honey and fruits and leafy greens. And we all dance and sing and celebrate the miracle of life of our lives together. Delightful. So how do we do this? What are the core activities we can cultivate? Sure, we can create amazing food forests in our yards and neighborhoods, overflowing with fruits and veggies, but that's expert level after years of practice. Let us start simply by connecting with the soil, by composting and growing a few things at first. Sure, we can become expert yoginis, able to hold amazing balance poses and perfectly executed bends and stretches, but that is after many years and only if our bodies are built in such a stretchy way. For many of us, the choice is to simply practice our yoga, to stretch however far or not, to balance for however long or not, but to do yoga nonetheless. The main point is to develop our practices from a place of our awareness, our perspective, and grow the magnitude of our gratitude with each step along the journey. And with gratitude flowing from our minds and hearts, we'll reach new heights of delight in our everyday lives. What can we appreciate in the kitchen? 
throughout the home, in the yard, the neighborhood, at work, on the way to work, for exercise, swimming in the sunshine at the outdoor pool, skiing or snowshoeing or walking in the crisp winter days, hiking or jogging along a cool forest path, cycling through farmlands in the countryside, for relaxation, painting, listening to music, playing music, preparing a delicious meal of lentils and garlic and ginger and turmeric with just enough spice from peppers, a simple delicious preparation that helps us wind down before going to bed and that will provide convenient, nutritious meals for several days to come. How about preparing a feast with our loved ones, our sweetheart, hours of prancing and flirting and creating together in the kitchen before family and friends arrive to celebrate community? How many times have we gotten stressed out before entertaining guests? Can we delight in the preparation of food and drink? Infuse it with love and wishes of well-being from our hearts while methodically slicing and dicing and chopping and sauteing? Can we cultivate this practice of mindfulness and gratitude so that we're experiencing the love and joy emanating from our hearts? And let us remember to listen, to actively listen for the bird song. We will hear so much more when we seek out the beauty of life on earth. Let us come to know the wisdom of William Wordsworth. He said, nature never did betray the heart that loved her. Let us cultivate our ability to delight, like any other important skill we want to get better at. And let us come to know that in nature we will find and touch and feel God and find the delight so beautifully expressed by Schiller in that song celebrating earthly connections with the divine, I feel you. The song goes, I feel you in every stone, in every leaf of every tree that you ever might have grown. I feel you in everything, in every river that might flow, in every seed you might have sown. I feel you. I feel you in every vein, in every beating of my heart, each breath I take, I feel you. Anyway, in every tear that I might shed, in every word I've never said, I feel you. I feel you in every vein, in every beating of my heart, in every breath I'll ever take, I feel you. Anyway, in every tear that I might shed, in every word I've never said, I feel you. I feel you. Maya Angelou says, A joyful spirit is evidence of a grateful heart. And Carlos Santana says, If you carry joy in your heart, you can heal any moment. Thank you, friends. It is a delight sharing this chapter with you. Out here in the woods, feeling this little breeze and little bits of sunshine coming through, hearing some birds and some water dripping. And I want to wish you all a very happy Thanksgiving week. I want to remind you to check out all the goodies and delightful treats and special deals that we have set up on the Kickstarter. Whyonearth.org slash Kickstarter will get you there.
And these are wonderful gifts and rewards you can give to others, folks of all ages, especially including little kids with our children's books, for the upcoming holidays. And in this uh, Thanksgiving season, may we all practice delighting together. And may we enjoy the cozy warmth, the feasting, the community, and the sense that the divine is all around. Happy Thanksgiving.